The Gospel of John, chapter 11, we'll begin reading in verse 45. Hmm. you got to say so? And the word of the Lord reads like this. It says, Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many miracles, many, many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and not that the whole, and, and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Then, from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there remained with his disciples. And the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then they sought Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think? That he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priest and the Pharisees had given a command, and if anyone knew where he was, he should report it and that they might seize him. Father, we thank you so much for your word that is truth. We thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your presence, God, that is here in this place. And Lord, we are grateful for the opportunity that we have to worship you, Lord God, to be in your presence. And Lord, I thank you for the privilege that it is to share your word with your people and so I pray that in these next few moments, God, that you would use me, that you would speak into the lives of my brothers and my sisters. I pray that you would challenge our faith, build us up to bring glory and honor to your name. And I just ask you, Lord God, that we would hear you and that we would obey you, that we would not just hear what you're saying, but God, that we would take it too hard and that you would grant us the faith to live out the truth that we'll learn today. I pray this all in Jesus' good name. Someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, please raise your hand. I want to make sure that everyone gets an outline. And we have started our Connect season. Is anybody back? happy to be back in Connect, right? Being able to connect with their brothers and sisters in Christ. We had a, we had a great time at our Connect um, for the first Connect. Our, um, our coordinator, she suggested that we play a game, so we played Bible Outbursts. How, how, how many of y'all have played Bible Outbursts before? Raise your hand if you played it before. All right, y'all, the rest of y'all are missing out, man. Um, very, very competitive game. Um, you get to know um, stuff in the Bible that most of the time people aren't even paying attention to. I would tell you, hands down, I was one that was reading the answers, and I was like, man, I, I would have messed up. I wouldn't have got any of these right. I mean, just seriously, like some of that stuff is tough. But anyway, nonetheless, it's a fun game. We had a good time together, and we were able to reconnect with one another. And so, you know, this week we'll continue strong with our Connect Life groups. And so we encourage you. The reason why I share this during the time that we we're handing out the handouts is because as you know already, we have made some changes as far as the way that we're going to be doing Connect. And so we're not going to be going over the sermon in our Connect Life groups. Now, that does not mean that you should not take notes during the sermon someone say amen. amen I hope that you will utilize the outlines for you to be able to take some notes for you to be able to answer those questions for yourself even have discipleship time with your family be able to reflect on what um, you heard preached and and how the Lord was speaking to you and that way you can do what God is speaking to your heart and so that's why we want to continue to hand out the outlines and it's a good conversation piece as well uh, like our, like I was saying during the summertime it was a good opportunity for you to utilize the sermon notes to have conversation with someone that you may be trying to witness to or you know help disciple help grow in the gospel so I encourage you to utilize those as well. So in the outline here, we'll get down to business in John chapter 11, verse 45 to 52, which is what we read already. And then we will go through John chapter 12 and verse 11. So that's what we're going to focus on today. And so in review of chapter 11, which is what we went over last week, the resurrection of Lazarus serves as a great picture of God's work in the salvation of all men. 
talked about that last week, how we are all dead in our trespasses and sins. God calls us by the gospel into a relationship with him, and he grants us the ability to do what? To come out of, of the tomb of our darkness, of our sin, of our, of our death, and he allows us to have life so we can walk with him in a relationship. But something that unfolds, in, and if you look at your outline here, something that unfolds in this story is the first thing we see, Jesus as our friend. And when I say Jesus as our friend, I don't mean like he's your boy, you know, I mean like he's your friend, like a friend that you respect a friend that you honor. He cares about you. He's not just some holy God seated on the throne who's unapproachable, right? But he is someone who wants to have relationship with you. And so he's our, he's our friend. We also see Jesus as our life. He said what? He said he is the resurrection and the life. And so he is not just our friend, but he is our life. And then we see Jesus as our power. And then what we're going to see today is that Jesus is also our substitute. And so very important for us to realize these terms here. And so looking at that, that's what we saw in chapter 11. And, and, and the last part here we'll focus on is him being our substitute. And so just giving you a little bit of history here in the second paragraph, Jesus comes back on the scene. Like I told you last week, this was his like last two weeks of his life that we're seeing here. And so this is literally like a week before Jesus is going to die. And so Jesus comes back onto the scene for a final time before his crucifixion. And we will, we'll, and he will partake of two special meals, the one that we're going to talk about today in chapter 12, and then also the last supper with his disciples. Again, the point of, this points us to his willingness to suffer in our place and obey the Father's will. When we look at this story of Jesus coming back on the scene, he knew that the chief priests were plotting to kill him. He had already said this many times. And if Jesus was not willing, Jesus could have went and hid somewhere and made somebody come and get him. But the fact that he comes out into public again for this last week, this Passion Week is what we know it as, is because he was wanting to show us that what? He was willing again to give his life for us. It was time for him to suffer in our place. And so last paragraph, as we read this account, we should be encouraged that God's plan will be fulfilled in our lives. Can someone say amen to that. Our faith should lead us to a radical devotion to Jesus in which our lives are being poured out as a drink offering unto the Lord. The title of the message this morning is poured out. And you'll see in chapter 12 more of why that is going to be that, why we're going to talk about being poured out. But I want you to, I want you to just, if you're taking notes, I want you to think about this because there were two types of offerings in the Old Testament that were made, two types of sacrifices. One of them was a sacrifice for sin. And the purpose of that sacrifice is to reestablish fellowship with God, right? And so when you sinned against God, you offered a trespass offering, a sin offering. And so just really quickly, and y'all know the right answer is Jesus, right? I'll just give you the answer in beforehand. But who is our sin offering? ring Come on now, y'all gotta, gotta get more excited than that, right? I gave you the answer, I'm just saying, right? Always, uh, Jesus is our sin offering, so we are no longer offering our lives for our sin, right? We're, not, we're no longer offering animals for sin. But when I talk about being a drink offering, and you can write these two scriptures down, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 17, and 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6. So Philippians chapter 2 and verse 17, and 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6, both of these are the Apostle Paul speaking of his own life as being poured out as a drink offering. The second category of sacrifices that were made in the Old Testament were not for the, the issue of sin, but they were, a, they, they were an expression of an ongoing fellowship with God. So you had thanks offerings, you had free will offerings. And so drink offerings, freely uh, offerings freely given to God as an act of adoration and worship, they belong to the second classification. So in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, where the, where, where the author Paul, the apostle Paul, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. When he says that, what he is saying is, I'm, I'm not asking you to make a sacrifice to make yourself right with Jesus. The reason why I say this is because as we talk about worship, as we talk about what we do, many times, and, and, and I don't know where, and I mean, I can, I can assume where this mindset comes from. You know, as we're growing up, you know, we learn to earn things, amen? Like we teach our kids to earn stuff. Like if our children do, you know, certain chores around the house and we give them something for that when our kids do well in school you know we'll give them something for that so we teach them that right as we were growing up it was the same thing for us and so what happens is when we come to God and we come into this gospel relationship with Jesus and we think about the sacrifices we make many times we want to make sacrifices so we can in our minds and in our hearts somehow appease God are you here 
So what we end up doing is we start to, you know, I'm going to give more because, you know, I've been slacking in my giving or, you know, I'm going to pray more because I've been slacking in my praying and God is upset with me. And that's how we have this mindset, right? It's the wrong mindset because Jesus was the sin offering. Are you hearing me? He was the one that died in our place. Now, does that mean that there are no, no consequences for sin in our lives? Of course, there's consequences for our sins, but I am not atoning for my sin. Are you hearing me? Because I can never sacrifice enough to appease God. I can never sacrifice enough to make God happy and say, hey, Jason, you've done enough. Good. Now you're good to go. I, there never comes a day that that's going to happen. I will continue, and you should continue to be a drink offering, a celebration. The reason why I worship God, right? The reason why I offer my life, the reason why I give up my finance, the reason why I do the things that I do is not because I'm trying to earn a right standing with God. It is because God has already given me a right standing with himself, and I am so grateful and so overwhelmed by the this reality that I want to live for the glory and the honor of Jesus and every sacrifice I make is not because I'm trying to prove to God anything it is simply because I want to show God that I love him amen so that should be our heart. And so we want to talk about being poured out today. And so this is the big idea. Again, I try to give you one every week. And so here it is. Just as Jesus poured out his life for us, so we should pour out our lives for him. I'll say that again. It's really simple. <clears throat> Just as Jesus <clears throat> poured out his life for us, we should pour out our lives for him. I'll say it one more time, and then we're going to move on. Just as Jesus poured out his life for us, we should pour out our lives for him. And so the way that Jesus poured out his life, like I said here, he didn't, they didn't have to come and find him. Hello, somebody. Right? They didn't have to come and chase him down. He freely offered himself. He positioned himself in order to be captured. He Jesus could have easily, listen to me, he could have easily left. After he resurrected Lazarus, he could have easily left and never came back to Jerusalem. He could have went on a hiatus and never came back if he, if he wanted to. Right? He didn't have to come back. He came back because he willingly desired to do it. It should be the same thing for us. You know, the difference between legalism and relationship with Jesus or religion and relationship with Jesus is that religion, you have a bunch of lists of things to do that you have to do. But relationship says this, man, I get to do these things. Hello. Relationship says, I get to do these things. I get to serve God in whatever capacity it is. And listen, it doesn't mean that it's not a sacrifice. I mean, y'all hear my voice this morning, right? I mean, I sound pretty rough. I'm sorry about that. I won't be hugging y'all after church. I don't want to share any of this with you. Glory to God. But the bottom line is, can I tell you something? I text, um, I text two, two, two of the leaders last night because I was supposed to meet with them after church today. And I said, hey, guys, I said, um, I'm not going to be able to meet with you after church. I said, because I can't call in sick tomorrow. Hello. Can I tell you something? If there was somebody else that could take my place, I would have loved to have called in sick today. But you know why I'm here? I'm here because I love Jesus, seriously, not because I'm so holy and amazing. I don't feel holy and amazing. I'm just saying, I'm here because I love my Savior, right? The sacrifice I make, I'm not, I didn't wake up this morning like begrudgingly, oh God, I got to get up and preach again. Hello, somebody, right? Like, I love to preach. I hate my voice being messed up. You know, I couldn't sing as much as I wanted to because, I, you know, if I would have sang, I wouldn't be able to talk. Hello. But the truth of the matter is we should be excited about the fact that I get to pour my life out in different areas. And listen, when we think about, you know, pouring our lives out, don't just think about it in the context of what I do in the church. I pour my life out. You pour your life out on the Lord in everything that you do in your life, in every area of your life, every area where you are, where God stations you. You should be pouring out your worship upon your God. You should be, listen, working for the glory of God as you pouring out your worship for God. No matter what you do, listen, you could be a garbage man. You know, you can be out there and listen, for the glory of God, you could have a smile on your face and just wave people down as you're, as, as you're getting the garbage. I'm just saying, glory to his name, right? You can be a person, you know, you may think that's not a glorious job. How do I bring God glory? Listen, in everything that I do, I should point to him on my job. Listen, you should not be the one that's always walking in late. Hello, somebody. Uh-huh. Like you're pouring out worship on God when people know that you are not just on time, you are always early. Hello. Just saying right? Being an example, being a Christian, I mean, that's what that is about. It's about pouring our worship upon him. And the way that Jesus poured his worship, it shouldn't be like pulling teeth to get you to pour worship. And again, I want to disconnect worship for a moment from the songs that we sing to the life that we live, because the problem with many of us is that we think that worship is a 30-minute, 45-minute, 55-minute something. Many people are waiting for something to happen when they walk in the building. Can I tell you something? When you walk in the building, you should be overflowing with worship. And when we begin to sing together, there should be an overflow, because 
because I have been throughout the week worshiping him, throughout the week giving him glory. As I'm doing the things that I'm doing, I'm honoring him. And then we come together. We all talk about we want revival. That's the reason why revival is saying you really want revival. You should make a little square in your room wherever you pray and say, God, begin revival here. Why? Because you want to see corporate collective revival. That is going to require revival in your heart. And when there is revival in your heart, when you come together, you're not waiting for the right song to come on. You're not waiting for them to sing it, sing it the way you want to sing. Listen, there's something that is overflowing inside of you. And, and all you're doing is allowing the spirit of God to move and manifest the way he wants. But we want, we want someone else to revive us. There's one that revives and that's God Almighty. Hello. And so we've got to be those people that say, God, I want to see, I want to be that person that is going to pour myself out for you. You know, I have this have this picture in my mind that when I go to stand before the Lord, you know, I've heard people, and I can't remember who it is that I've talked to. I've talked to a couple of people about this, and they talked about this word retirement, and um, you know, they're like, "Hey, man, you know, where do you see retirement in the Bible?" And I'm like, "Man, I really don't see it in the Bible. I'm just saying, it's not it's not there. I see rest in the Bible. Hello, somebody. I see people working and then dying and then they go to heaven. I'm just saying, like, that's kind of what we see, right? So we don't see retirement. And so what I do know, what I do know is this: is that you do slow down at some point, right? I'm just saying, like, you know, you do slow down. But here's here's the thing." I love, and I've told you all about this book before written by John Piper. It's, it's, it's entitled, and if you're taking notes, I encourage you to read it. Don't waste your life. And, you know, he talks about coming to that time in your life when you're, you know, older and you've put all your money in retirement and you've worked hard and then you're going to retire and for the rest of your life you're going to spend it on golf green, you know, on, on the golf greens, just golf away. Listen, there's nothing wrong with golf. You can evangelize in, in the golf thing. Amen, somebody? As a matter of fact, you probably got someone's attention for a while there. I'm just saying that might be a good opportunity for you. For those of you guys that like to play golf, I just sanctified it for you. Amen. So... <laughs> Here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is when you spend all of, your, all of your life, like the latter years of your life, doing nothing for the glory of God. See, here's the thing. When I come before God, listen, church, everybody in this place, I hope you have this mindset. When you come before God, you should want to come before God on empty. What I mean by that is that you have spent every ounce of strength, every ounce of your heart, every ounce of your life, I love it one guy, you know, I was talking to a pastor of a church, and we, we were having a conversation, and he was telling me about a particular denomination, he was, we were talking about the Methodist church, and, you know, he was telling me that, that people in their will, like, they literally, and I never, I've never even heard of anything like this, you know, in the church I came from, but people in their will, they would literally leave, like, their properties and, like, lots of money to their churches, and I was like, man, that's crazy, because, you know, you go to some churches, and they have, like, a real small amount of people, and you wonder, how do they afford this huge building? Someone paid for it, but I like what one guy says. He's like, listen, don't wait till you die to give money to your church. Don't wait till you die to do things for the kingdom of God. Do it now, while you get to rejoice, and you get to see the fruit, like, you know, when you, get, when you help somebody now, like, don't wait to die and say, well, hey, I'm going to give all my money to the church or to the poor. Do it now, and that way you see the smile on somebody's face now, when God uses you by his grace and, and for his glory to minister to someone's needs, right? Don't wait, don't wait for, you know, those days, but do it now. And so what I'm saying is we should desire, God, I want to be a person who's poured out for your glory. The first thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this, say, Jesus willingly poured out his life to become our substitute. Jesus willingly poured out his life to become our substitute. And so in verses 45 to 47 of chapter 11, we read, we started off where we, where we finished last week, where people were seeing the miracles of Jesus, and they were moved by them, and some of them believed, but then there was another group. They came to the Pharisees, and they were like, hey, man, and like, how is this, you know, how is this possible, right? Like, how is this the, you know, that, 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 that we're going to let this guy continue to live and do miracles instead of them bowing down to worship? You know, they, they're like worried about their position. And this guy by the name of Caiaphas, he opens up his mouth, and he is the high priest. And so he's the leader of the, uh, of the, of the Jewish people, uh, you know, of, their, of their leadership there, of the Sanhedrin. So that, that, that's their big council. So he's the leader that year. And opens his mouth, and he tells these people, he said, and y'all don't know anything. <clears throat> he, said, he says, it is expedient <clears throat> that one person die for the nation instead of the whole nation. And so Caiaphas was being selfish. He was being 100% wicked. He was not being holy or anything like that. And you know what the story shows us? It's so funny because even though he was being selfish, he was being wicked, he was in the flesh. Hello, somebody. God's still using the prophesy. Hello. That's right. Now, listen, that doesn't mean just go to somebody wicked, selfish, in the flesh to hear from God. Hello, somebody. Like, you know, a broken clock is always right twice a day. I'm just saying, like, kind of think that mindset. 
You know, you shouldn't go to the ungodly for, you know, counsel for, hey, you know, you're going to go to some guy that, anyway, I, we'll leave it there. You know, just, you know, don't, don't go to the ungodly for counsel. That isn't it. But the point is God utilized this guy to prophesy the death of Jesus, that Jesus is going to be our substitute. Now, I want to pause for a moment because I want us to think about something. Turn with me in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. I want, you, I want you to think about this verse for a moment. And, and I'm having you turn there because I want you, I I want you to read it. <clears throat> I want you to mark it in your Bible if you haven't. And I hope that you will make this a memory verse of yours. Because I think that it's a, it, it's a powerful verse for you to have there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. When you got to say so. And it says here, it says, he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of him who died for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Pastor Chad, he didn't quote it today, but sometimes when he's doing communion, he will quote that particular scripture. And when I talk about, I want, when, as I was studying it, I was thinking, I want, I want us to think for a moment what it means to be a substitute. Because I've told you before that, you know, when you think about a substitute, right? Usually a substitute, like when you think about it in the context of, context of sports, like the sub is usually not the best guy. Hello. Right? The sub is like the guy that you don't want to go to. I'm just saying. I was talking to one of the, one of the, one of the coaches for UCF, and he said that um, he said this year they're going to have a rough year. I think it was, their first, it was either the first game, third game, whatever it was, and he said the quarterback in the first, like, the first plays of the game, he broke two of his fingers, so he's going to be out for like six months, something like that, and he's like, it's going to be a rough season. He's like, this guy came off. He said, you know, he's, he's, he's a rookie and all this kind of stuff, and he was saying about him, and the point is it was like, yo, he was a sub. He's not the guy that you wanted on the field, right, to lead the team into victory, right? He, he wasn't the first choice. When we think about substitution, it's the same thing in so many different areas. Like, that's the substitute. You know, there's, there, there's, it's just not the person you want there. But Jesus, again, he is our substitute. And I want you to think about what that means. This scripture here, this scripture is known in, in theological circles. They call this the, the great exchange. This is where God receives for us what we deserve, and we receive from God what he earns and what he deserves. Are you hearing me? So he who knew no sin, he who, now think about this verse in its context, he who knew no sin. Jesus never had, understand this for me, Jesus never had a dirty thought. Jesus never said a wrong word. Jesus never did something that offended the law of God. Jesus never forgot to do something that the law required. Jesus was he who knew no sin. Are you hearing me? He, he who knew no sin became sin for us. Now, what that means is he became sin. He became our sin offering. He became our substitution. Another word is propitiation. He became our payment for our sin. He comes in our place. Now, now look at this. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become. So he becomes so that way we can become. Amen. He who knew no sin, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of him who died for us. See, for me, that's an exciting topic. When I think about, when we think about the gospel that we hear preached weekly, we talk about the fact that man is born into sin, right? And Jesus didn't die for good people. I, um, Sister Yolanda in our Connect Life group, a while back I was preaching and talking about adoption, and I used an example that came to me in one of the sermons, and I said, you know, it'd be one, it's one thing, you know, to go and see some cute kid that's really behaved well, and, you know, you want to adopt him, you know, or something like that. But, you know, nobody wants that rebellious brat that's biting, kicking, and acting a fool like I ain't adopting that one hello right y'all seen Annie right y'all seen Annie the movie you know what I'm saying and so I mean they, they when whenever someone was coming to adopt right where well, they were they were on their best behavior why because nobody wants a brat I'm just saying but see God he didn't care about all that he died for us he was our substitute we were those bratty right we were those ones that were kicking and biting and acting a fool we don't want nothing to do with God and God dies in our place that's a beautiful thing he sheds his blood in our place because he loves us. See, the beauty, the beauty of the gospel is that everything God does is because of his goodness. Can I get an amen to that? He is not bound to anything or anyone. Listen, I've said this before. I will say it again. Jesus did not die for you because you're so amazing. Are you hearing me? Jesus, I know you look cute today. I know you smell good today. I know, I know you put on your Sunday best. I get, I get all that. But listen. If you were so amazing, you could have died for us. Hello. 
If I was so amazing, I could have died for you. And no matter how good I look today, no matter how, how clean I may seem, when I have conversation with people and I talk about, I was talking to one of the guys um, from CrossFit. We had lunch together and I, I was sharing with him and, you know, trying to find out where he was in his faith. And in the conversation, I started going through my story and he was like, what? He's like, man, I thought you were like just, and he's like, you're a pastor. I said, yeah. I said, I wasn't always. Hello, somebody. Right? And then God is, because what? Because God has cleaned my life up. Because he's, he's made me different. He's transformed me. So when I tell people about that other person that I used to be, they're like, nah, there's no way. Uh, oh, yeah, well, you, you don't know God. Hello, somebody. <laughs> you, don't, you don't understand the magnitude of the gospel. You don't understand the power of God, right? It's the power of God unto salvation. That's what it says, that, you know, that, that, that the gospel is. It is the power of God unto salvation. It is so that we, we can become the righteousness of God. But the truth of the matter is, God isn't bound to us. He didn't die for us because we're so amazing. On the contrary, he died for us because he's so amazing. And he allows us to have this great exchange. And, you know, when, when, when we look at the scripture, he, he knows he owes no one anything. And it reminds me of Job. You know what he said to Job in, 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 in Job chapter 38, around verse like 3 or something like that, I, somewhere around there. He's like, where were you when I laid the foundation of the world? I was like, glory to God. I don't need to read anything else. All right, God, you're good. Job spent like 37 chapters, you know, not him by himself. He was like complaining like, yo, I, I want an audience with God. I need to talk to the Lord because I'm righteous. Job was feeling like, yo, he felt like he got the short end of the stick. And God is like, where were you? Who is this that darkens counsel? That's what he's saying. Like, like hold on a second. Like, you're talking about stuff you don't even know. Stuff that's way beyond your pay grade. Right? And you over here running out the mouth. And Job was like, yo, I'm... He's, Job just like, well, okay, I'm good. <laughs> After God finished, he was, Job was humbled because he realized the magnitude of who God is. And so it's the same thing for us. What should happen is we should be humbled and it should compel us to pour our lives out upon our Lord in worship. We recognize the beauty of this gospel that God doesn't leave us in our sins, but he dies in our place so that we can be redeemed from our sins. We can be set free from our sins. He can no longer know us by our sins, but he knows us as sons and daughters if we will put our faith in him and we repent of our sin and trust him. That's the beauty of this gospel. He gives us this new name, this new identity. We are now his because of his goodness to us. The second thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. In response to Jesus, willing sacrifice, we should worship, worshipfully pour out our lives. In response to Jesus' willing sacrifice, we should worshipfully pour out our lives. Now let's look at chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, so we can get some context to this point here. It says this, it says, then six days before the Passover, so this is making it really clear, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus, who, where Lazarus was, who had been raised from the, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper. Made, they made a supper for Jesus, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with them. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. In response to Jesus' willing sacrifice, we should worshipfully pour out our lives on him. In this, in this particular story here, we find this woman by the name of Mary and this, at this meal is made for Jesus. We see What we see here is we see this elaborate, extravagant example of what worship is. In this woman, we find this, 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 this amazing story that is recorded, I think, in every one of the Gospels. Her name is not given to all of them, but she, it, it's recorded of this pouring of this oil upon the master. This, this, this story is going to be talked about. Listen, if Jesus doesn't return in a thousand years, I mean, it'll be talked about for another thousand years. It's, a, it's always going to be this big thing. It's a big deal. It's something that we'll be reminded of continually is this act of worship. And what should happen for us is because Jesus willingly went to the cross for us, because Jesus willingly died in our place, we should worshipfully pour out our lives on him. And when we talk about worship, like I said, I want to disconnect worship from the songs that we sing. Hear this. Worship is our response to God's grace in obedience to his word. I'll say that again. Worship is our response to God's grace in obedience to his word. I say it like this. It is how we respond to God's grace grace. 
Now, I want you to think about this story in this context. When did they see the grace of God? Well, in chapter 11, they saw the grace of God. Mary experienced the grace of God in a huge way in what? The resurrection of her brother. And so her brother who had been dead for four days and she thought that the story was over and Jesus decides by his grace, by his mercy to build their faith that he is going to do something that seemed absolutely impossible. And what happens is he comes to this dinner and Mary is overwhelmed by the grace of God and she decides she is going to pour out upon Jesus a year's worth of wages. Are you hearing me? Now listen, you just think about that for a moment. I don't know what you make in a year, but just imagine you just decided today, right? Glory to God. I'm going to write a check for my one year's wages. Make sure it don't bounce. Hello, somebody. <laughs> you just decide. You're like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to just pour one year's wages. I'm, I'm going to take one year's wages and I'm just going to give that to the Lord. That's what she did. She went ahead and she decided that she was going to pour something out extravagant upon the master. And, 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 and here's, here, here's the thing that she doesn't even, she doesn't even get this. Let, let, let's keep reading the story. It says, and Mary took this pound in, in verse 3. It says, then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped them with her feet, wiped, them, wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Verse 4 says, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's brother, who would betray him him said why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor then he this is Jesus said not that he or this he said I'm sorry this he said not that he cared for the poor but because he was a thief hello somebody and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. isn't it funny he sounded so spiritual just a moment ago okay man we need to take care of the poor uh-huh yeah it wasn't about the poor he just want to pad his pockets. Hello, somebody. Right. Verse 7 says, look at Jesus' words. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. And so what I want you to realize is that Mary, experiencing God's grace in the resurrection of her brother, brother, poured out a year's worth of wages on Jesus' feet, not realizing her gratefulness turned into great significance. Are you here? Her gratefulness turned into great significance. She didn't realize, listen, nobody, nobody was clear on the fact that Jesus was about to die for them. She didn't walk into the room knowing that, you know what, I'm doing this for his, for his burial, for his purpose. She didn't, she didn't know what she was doing. The same way that Caiaphas didn't realize the significance of the words that were coming out of his mouth, neither did she understand the significance of what she was doing other than it was a gratefulness from her heart. And she said, you know what, God, I just want to pour this out on you. I just, I just want to say thank you so much because you're sitting at a table with my brother. I want to say thank you so much. See, it should be the same thing from our hearts that when we look around our lives that we just say, God, I just want to say thank you so much for what you've done and I want to do A, B, C, or D, whatever that is for you. I want to give this. I want to do this. I want to honor you. Not because I'm trying to earn something, but just because I want to recognize what you have done. See, I think that if we would take more time just to recognize what we've done because we live in a society and in a culture where we're always trying to get something else. We're always trying to achieve something else. We live in a culture and time where everybody talks about the goals we have to set and the next thing. But can I tell you something? Sometimes we just need to sit down and we need to count the blessings that God has already done for us. We need to look at everything that God has already provided for us. We need to look at everything that God has already achieved in and through our lives for his glory. And that way we will be more grateful unto the Lord. And then what happens is our gratefulness, not, not because we meant it to be, our gratefulness turns to great significance. You see, what I realize this is that Mary did this. She poured out this oil on Jesus' feet. But can I tell you something? And this really messed, this messed me up when I was reading it. When she pours out this oil on Jesus' feet, the Bible says she does something that's weird. She doesn't go and get a towel in order for her to go ahead and clean it or anything like that. It says she took her hair. And she takes her hair and she wipes this oil off. And you know what that meant for me when I looked at this? Even though the fragrance filled the room, right? It, it, it stood in the place where they were at. When Mary left that place, you know what went with her? That fragrance. When Mary left that place of extravagant, elaborate worship of her God, guess what went with her? That fragrance. Everywhere she went, that fragrance came with her. And so now when she walked down the road and someone was like, hey, why does you know, your hair smell so amazing? Oh, let me tell you about what just happened. 
You see, now the opportunity to witness for someone, the opportunity to open your mouth and tell them about what God is doing. And see, what you and I have got to understand is that when we are pouring out our lives on our master, what should happen is his fragrance, that fragrance of him should rub off on us to the degree. And you know what I hear it said all the time, that people talk about, man, there's something different about you. They should see that. And that's a great opportunity. It doesn't mean you wait for people to tell you that there's something different about you for you to talk about Jesus. But the point is, there is something that should rub off on us when we are pouring out our worship. And that when we leave that place, the fragrance of the master goes with us. The fragrance of what we've done goes with us. And God wants to fill us to that degree. But it's not going to happen if we are not pouring ourselves out. See, here's the thing you got to realize, church is that living our lives poured out unto the Lord has greater significance in God's plan than we realize and may have a greater impact in the lives we encounter than we will ever know. Let me say that again. We must realize living our lives poured out unto the Lord has greater significance in God's plans than we realize and may have a greater impact in the lives we encounter than we will ever know. Are you hearing me? See, we talk about this act of worship. This was one isolated incident. But when you and I live our lives poured out for the Lord, when we, when we are always, listen to me now, I know that this becomes overwhelming. And, and, and it becomes overwhelming, I'm going to say this, it becomes overwhelming when the driving force is, I just want to do more. Hear what I'm saying? When you and I become motivated by the gospel, that's the reason why I continue to drive home the point of the need for the understanding of the gospel in our lives because when that is is our motivation although listen and I'm not saying you don't get tired just because you're motivated by the gospel but the thing is this is that what should happen in our lives and this may seem overwhelming but you should be I should be that person that is always willing to go above and beyond are you hearing me above and beyond that, that that we will do that extra for what for the glory of God that we would do that extra because we want to honor Jesus. That we would do that when we're that person. What happens is we're living our lives poured out for him. And you know what it's doing? It has great significance. It has great significance to the work of God, to the, to the, to the things that God is doing in the earth. But you know what? You and I never know how much of an impact our stuff that we're doing is doing to other people. Are you hearing me? Because just because someone doesn't say, listen, I want you to know something. Everybody is watching you especially if they know you're a Christian. Are you hearing me? Once they know you're a Christian, listen, all eyes are on you. They're checking you out. They're looking to see what kind of Christian you are. And you know what I've come to understand? This is what I've come to understand clearly. What I've come to understand clearly is that people are real quick to criticize. They're not so quick to compliment. People are real quick to let you know when you mess up. They're real quick to let you know, man, you know what you messed up. That was messed up. What you, you know, man, I can't believe you call yourself a Christian. Blah, blah. I mean, they'll go down the list, but, but they're, not, they're not there to pat you on the shoulder. Hello. Can I tell you something? We shouldn't be doing this for pats on the shoulder. We should be doing this for the glory, for the honor of Jesus. But realizing that what we're doing out of our gratefulness to God can have great significance and can bring change to lives. But we have to make a choice to live our lives poured out for the glory of Jesus. The third thing I'll ask you to say is this. We can't allow anything to keep us from pouring out our lives unto the Lord. We can't allow anything to keep us from pouring out our lives unto the Lord. Let's finish reading this chapter here. We'll look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there. And they came, not, now listen to this, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, Lazarus, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. I want you to get this. In this story here, we have two deterrents that are here. There are two different witnesses. The one witness is there, which is Mary, and she is going to go and pour out this extravagant worship. The second witness that is there is this guy by the name of Lazarus. Now listen, Lazarus didn't do anything. He was dead. Hello, somebody. He didn't do, all he did was respond. He had no choice, right? Like, what was he going to do? Like, no, Jesus, I'm not coming out of this tomb, right? Like, I mean, seriously. Like, it's like the guy's dead and he, he's resurrected. And what's he going to do? Just stand there? No, he's like, he starts coming forward. But because of what Lazarus does, these people decide, yo, we got to kill him too. Hello. Terrible, right? 
Because these people were coming to see Lazarus. Because you know what? When people, when listen, when your life is changed, right? When your life is transformed. I, I, I use a great example. Raphael today, he was talking, he, he talked to us in our, in our prayer circle. And <clears throat> he asked for prayer. And I just shared this with you because he shared it with us. And so for those of you that didn't make it. <clears throat> and he said that a couple of weeks ago. <clears throat> I'm sorry. He, you know, he, commit, he, he recommitted his life to the Lord. And he feels God challenging him and God wanting to do stuff in his life, right? And so what I'm saying is this, is that as he does that, there's people that are going to be doing what? They're going to be watching him. And you see, when people see the difference in your life, when people hear you communicate the gospel and they see you living the gospel, you want to know what happens? People start showing up places where you are because they're like, man, let me see what's going on with this guy. Let me see what's going on with this woman. Let me, hold on a second. I heard, I heard about this Jesus that raised him up, but let me just see the proof because they, I, I, saw, I saw Lazarus. I was there when they were wrapping this guy up in the grave clothes. I, was, I helped push the rock in front of this thing here. Hello. I sat in the house and cried for a couple days with them. Like, they knew what was up. And they're like, hold on a second. I, I want to come sit at this table with Lazarus. And what does it do? Him sitting at the table with Lazarus is pointing to Jesus. Hello. And so as we live our lives for the glory and honor of Jesus, know this, we can point people to Jesus. We can point them to the work that God has done in our lives. And it just depends on us to really commit ourselves and really say, okay, God, I want to be a life that's poured out for you. And here's what you got to get is the enemies of the cross will always, always try to keep us from extreme devotion to Jesus. I was, I was, I was, I'm listening to some it was, a, it was a clip on, my, on the Logo software. I think it was Logo software. I'm, I'm not sure. But it was a clip, and it's about two different books that were written. And one of them is called Radical by David Platt. And so Radical by David Platt, he is just calling Christians to another level of Christianity. You know, he's calling Christians, you know, to live full on for the glory of Jesus. You know, he's talking, you know, he's telling them about extremism in, in Christianity. There's nothing wrong with that. And there's another guy. He wrote a book, and I can't remember the title of it, but it's something like... Um, like, like commonly radical or something like that. And, and, and the two books are, they, you know, one of them, they, they weren't written as, as to contradict each other. They just happened to be written around the same time. And when you look at David Platt's book, he's talking about going and being extreme, like going, you know, going for a year on a mission trip, like, you know, doing stuff like that. Like he's really talking about, you know, going in. This other guy's writing this book, and he's saying, look, man, he said a lot of people will see that and be like, man, I, I can't do that. That's not what I sense God has called me to do. And what this other guy is saying is, listen, you need to be radical right in your everyday stuff, right? Like, listen, here's the deal. I believe in, I believe in missions. You know, we support, you know, um, the, the, the mission, the mission in, in Honduras. And so I believe in that, right? I'm, I obviously haven't gone on a lot of mission trips. I've only been on one mission trip. I'm still trying to get to Honduras. It's going to happen, I promise. Um, but here's the thing. The point is that there's some people, you know, J uh, Minister Jamie, who's not here today, you know, as a youth, as a youth, he was always on mission trip and stuff like that. And so, you know, that, 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 that's one side of it. But here's the thing that I want you to realize. You, you and I have to realize this. It is that we have been planted by God's sovereign hand in the exact mission field that he's called us into. See, when you understand that I am at work in the mission field, no, that's not just your nine to five. Hello, somebody. You see, that we, we have this mindset that we can't find this. Just like I said, retirement is not found in the Bible. You don't find this separation between sacred and secular, right? You find a separation between holy and unholy. That's a different thing. But sacred and secular, that's not, that's not something that is, that is there. That's something that we came up with. Like, well, that's secular stuff. That's, listen, there's stuff that are holy and unholy. Amen, somebody. That's all it is. And so we, being where we are, we sanctify the place that we go to. And if I will realize, listen to me, this church, this building, this building would not be able to contain the people if you and I really believe that where God has placed us is our mission field. Are you hearing me? Because you sit around people all the time. And listen, my challenge was last week the same way. And I said, man, I'm praying for a movement of prayer. Because what I realized is this. I, I forget who it was that I was talking to. I was talking to Minister Lewis. And we were, share, we were sharing. And I said, man, I'm just going to be honest with you. When I find myself on my face praying for the lost, when I find myself on my face crying out to God for those people that don't know him, you want to know what happens? Automatically, conversations begin to rise up doors of opportunity begin to rise up in front of me. And so listen, you can go ahead and you go with the evangelism team and go to a place and, you know, go, go to Crane's Roost, go to um, downtown Orlando. When they go out, you can go with them. You can do it that way. But can I tell you something? You can also, and you should be doing both in the sense that you should be on your face before God, seeking him and being led. I was talking to Brother Jose yesterday and he was talking about, man, I just, I, I, when I sense the spirit leading me, he's like, man, I just move in that direction. Listen, can I tell you who empowers all of our conversations? 
hands, it's the, it's the God of heaven. Hello. And if I'm in prayer, what I begin to do is I begin to cry out for these people. And you know what God does? He's like, okay, son, you're crying out to me for these people. I'm filling you with my presence. Now I'm going to open the opportunity because what? Because I want to bring life to the lost. I want to bring life to those who don't know me. I want to bring life to these people. I want to bring them into this relationship with me. I want you to live your life poured out for me. Hello. That's what this is about, church. It's about us living our lives poured out. But see, if we really got that, if we really understood, like, man, where God has placed me. See, Lazarus, man, he was just, he was just there. Hello. He was just present. He was just, he was, we don't have, we don't have one sermon preached from Lazarus. But can I tell you something? Because of the amazing work of God in his life, people were coming to Jesus. Can I tell you something? It doesn't mean just sit there and wait for people to see how good you are. Can I tell you the difference in his situation and ours? Jesus was sitting right there. Hello, somebody. Right? Like, you need to introduce people to Jesus. I'm just saying, like, don't be like, well, they see the good works in me. That's amazing. No! You need to vocalize and point them to Jesus. And so here's the thing that we got to get. Whether it is laying down our life, laying down your life in a sacrificial manner or... Surrendering your life to death for the glory of Jesus, it will and should be costly. Here's the thing. We must commit to being poured out as drink offerings unto the Lord, no matter what the opposition. You see, the first part of opposition was what? It was this guy by the name of Lazarus. He sounded real religious, you know, and, and that's what happened to people. They don't want you, you know, there's some people, they're like, man, why you go to church so much? Why are you always in church stuff? Hello, somebody. Why you, I, I remember, I remember someone, I, I think, yeah, one time somebody went to their accountant. Hello, somebody. This is the wrong accountant. Went to their accountant and, 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 and they were looking at their giving and the accountant was like, man, you give a lot to your church. Like, you sure you should be doing that? Is that, is that, hold on a second. So, so now I'm gonna let somebody who doesn't know Jesus tell me that I shouldn't give so much to the church. Terrible, terrible counsel. Hello, somebody. You're not giving to get, you're, get, you're giving because you already got. Hello. You're giving because you want to bring glory and honor to Jesus. But see, we, we can make stuff sound real spiritual to get people, oh, you know, you don't need to worry about this. I have people tell me at times when I'm fasting and praying, you know, come and tell me, hey, man, you know, the Lord heard you. I know the Lord heard me. The moment I started fasting and praying, I'm not fasting and praying because I want him to hear me more. Hello? I need to die more to myself. Hello, somebody. I'm not going to die because I'm in this by the grace of God. But we, want, we, we, we need this radical devotion. I'm going to be poured out to Jesus. And there's the opposition of the religious-sounding people that just have the wrong mindset, have the wrong heart. But then there's the other side, which is, yo, there's the part that you could lose your life for Jesus. And the question is, are you going to live a life that is poured out for him and for his glory? So you must realize that as we live our lives poured out for Jesus, by default, hear me. We're extending the kingdom, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, but they will put up a fight. If the enemy can discourage us, he will keep us from advancing the gospel in the earth. Are you here? If he can discourage us, he will keep us from advancing the gospel in the earth, and that's what we're called to do. And so my closing question for you is this, is are you living a life that is poured out for the glory of Jesus are you living a life poured out for the glory of Jesus? See, when I look at my life being poured out for the glory of Jesus, I would measure it in three ways. If I was you, I would measure it in three ways. Because we pour out our lives with our time. We pour out our lives with our talents. We pour out our lives with our treasure, our finances. And so the first question I would ask you is, when you look at your time, how much of your time is poured out on Jesus? Like how much of your time in your day is to spend with Jesus? Because you spend probably eight hours at work if you're in school about the same amount of time. But when you look at your time that is poured out on Jesus, I'm, and listen, I understand the concept where to pray without ceasing. God should be on our mind. I get all that, and I'm not discrediting that because I believe that many people, myself included, that we are, you know, if I were to say that, man, I try to sanctify all of my time. But I want to ask you to really look at your time and say, man, how much of my time do I devote to the gospel, to the purposes of the gospel? How much of my time? How much of that time? Because if your time is not, if the only time you have for Jesus is just Sunday morning, if the only time you have for Jesus is just the connect night, if the only time you have for Jesus, man, there's a problem. How much of your time? Second thing that I would ask is, do you use your talents? Or does that reflect the life poured out? Like the talents, the gifts, the abilities that God has given you. Are you using them for his glory? Are you using them, whatever it may be, are you using them for his glory? 
And the last one is your treasure. It, it does, does your treasure reflect a life that is poured out for his glory? And what's your finances? Like, do you show, does it show that I'm living a life that is poured out? Do you do that? Does my giving show? I love what I, I love what I was reading in, in, in that book, Gospel, I was telling you guys about last week. And, and the one, and, and I, I was looking for the quote, I couldn't find it. But as I was reading through there, he was talking about giving. And he was saying, man, you know, the mindset that we have in our church is that we should live comfortably, give extravagantly. And the question is, if I were to look at that in my own life, if you were to look at that in your own life, do you live comfortably and give, give extravagantly or is it vice versa? Is it more about you being extremely comfortable, having every single thing that you want? And I go back to the beginning when Jesus, when I said it last week as well, Jesus talks to us about denying ourselves. When was the last time you denied yourself a comfort for the glory and for the honor of Jesus? I'll never forget the day I was coming from Taco Bell. I was driving to, to my other job to go and pick up my check. Had made this specific thing just for me because I worked there. That was my first job, second job, but I remember I was pulling up and I see this homeless guy sitting out in front of the place and I sense from the Lord, give him your food. And I was like, so let me, let me test this theory because I was like Gideon, you know, Gideon, Gideon, Gideon is the guy like make the fleece wet and the fleece is wet. He's like, all right, let's flip this around. Let's make the grass. So I walk up to a homeless guy and say, hey man, are you hungry? I was in the flesh. I, want, I really wanted to eat. You know, I was like, you know, you know how it is like you prepare something for yourself. And he was like, and then I, and then I tested. I, I did the second test. I'm like, well, do you like this? <laughs> Listen, for the glory and honor of God, I gave him my stuff, right? It wasn't, it wasn't like easy. I was like, man, you know, I really wanted that. The point is, right, I had to make, I had to deny myself something for the glory and honor of Jesus. And although I wanted it, when I walked away, I felt like, man, I obeyed the Lord in something, right? I was obedient to God, even though I tested him like three times, hope, hoping the guy was like, yeah, I'm allergic to that. <laughs> now, I really don't like chicken, you know, something. I'm like, yes, so, I'm sorry, man, it's chicken, bro. I can't, you know, you like sour cream? I mean, there's sour cream in there. It's like, you know. <laughs> the, the, the thing, the thing is, like, we... We have to ask ourselves this question, right? Like, what do I do with my time, my treasure, my talent? And I want to say this. <clears throat> we shouldn't be guilted into doing anything except repentance that leads to gospel-motivated obedience. So I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. If you're looking at your, at your if you, you know, in your mental Rolodex and you're like, man, I don't spend enough time with Jesus. You know, if you're looking at your mental Rolodex, man, I don't use my talent for the glory of God. You know, I'm not, I'm not doing anything for his glory. You know? If you're looking at yourself and you're saying, man, I don't give, I'm, I'm just like not a giver. It's not to make you feel guilty, just to be guilty. It's to bring you to a place of repentance that where you say, God, I thank you for what you did for me, and I want to obey you. Amen? I want to stand on our feet. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so very much for my brothers and my sisters today. Lord, I thank you for the privilege that I've had to share your word with them. And Lord, I just pray for your grace to be upon each of their lives. I pray for your glory to be upon each of their lives, Lord God. I pray that you would fill them all with your power and your love. I pray that you would help them all, Lord Jesus, to continue to grow, that we would all continue to grow in our, li in, in, in our, in our, our lives being poured out for you, God. I pray that we would no longer hold back, but that we would surrender to you everything that is within us. I pray for those in this place that may not know you, God. I pray that they would repent of their sin. I pray that they would call upon you and that they would ask you, Lord God, to be merciful to them, that they would receive the grace of salvation and that they would walk with you, Lord God. I pray, Jesus, that you fill us as your sons and your daughters and use us for your glory and for your honor, Lord God. I pray this all in Jesus' good name. Everyone said, Amen. come on, give God a hand of praise. He's worthy.